0: Match for new card members only. Learn more at discover.com slash travel. Brent Martineau.
1: You see him every
0: day on CBS 47, Fox 30. Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live
1: from the Anna Jar and Levine
2: studio.
0: This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com.
3: the west side of jacksonville and we are at uh, the lucas oil motocross championships that will take place tomorrow so uh, get ready for a little racing on the dirt looks like so much fun too uh, they just had some practices going on beforehand, and uh, once we get the video up and running, which we will, but as you <laughs> might imagine, the reception out here is a little sketchy, so hang with us here on a Friday afternoon. We're taking a bit of a chance here on a Friday on uh, ESPN 690, but we think it's pretty cool backdrop. Beautiful day out here. A little hot, but that's okay. It's uh, summer in Florida. What else should we expect? And uh, they're ready for a big day. This thing will be... A big event all across the United States and internationally, too. So a good exposure time for uh, the city of Jacksonville as uh, we welcome motocross to the area. We'll have some guests along the way, some riders take us inside the sport. Uh, uh, What makes this sport different than maybe some of the others that we are familiar with, Supercross and, uh, of course, NASCAR and the the racing with cars. Uh, We'll get inside some of these guys as there's a busy, busy place going on around us. I mean, it feels very Carnival-like, Daytona-like. RVs are here, uh, and, and the track's so different. I mean, we've got some big rigs. Certainly moving a lot of dirt as well uh, here on a Friday, getting into uh, a weekend. Hopefully the weather hangs for everybody too. It will be a lot of fun. NBA Draft 2019 in the books, and uh, that means Driving Dish Podcast Man, Justin Kuzart, uh, probably didn't sleep last night. Kuz, you all right after last night's couple of rounds?
4: Well, here's what happened, Brent. They were cutting tears at the, uh, they were cutting onions. I mean, at the uh, NBA, uh, NFL, or NBA draft. And on top of that, they were cutting tears at the movie theater down the street because I went and watched the draft, and then I went and watched Toy Story 4, and both were so, like, insanely oh. touching. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Emotional night for Coos. It was, it was. All right, uh, winners and losers, quick thought. Uh, winners and losers of the draft, give me one team either way uh, that you liked and didn't like. You got anything off the rip?
4: Oh, man, I would say uh, general consensus from the Internet, or at least Twitter. I mean, the Pelicans and Hawks did really well. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong when you're the Pelicans and getting that number one pick. But, you know, they got some really good quality with uh, yes, with with everything else they did. And the Hawks really did hit well on their draft. Um, so I kind of like the young core that the Hawks got going forward. And then in terms of losses, um, a friend of our, our podcast, Tim, is a big Suns fan, and talking to him today, Suns, Phoenix Suns uh, fans are are not feeling too great about the draft.
3: All right, uh, we'll talk more about the draft. Uh, We have a lot of NBA draft talk coming up uh, in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, here as well today uh, with some draft experts. Brian Sexton will join us a little bit later in the program, talk a little Jags football. You know, we celebrate the 25 seasons of it. There's only, uh, I think, eight people that have been a part of the Jaguars organization since day one. Brian Sexton is one of them. He will join us in the 5 o'clock hour today, talk a little bit of Jags. John Phillips will be on the way. We'll uh, tackle the law and see what's happening uh, from a legal standpoint in the sports world. Anything, including Zion Williamson, uh, because uh, there's been back and forth suing with the uh marketing company uh, around zion so we'll uh, check into that and the ramifications uh, amongst some other things uh, in the uh, sports world when it comes to uh law and we'll take care of it how about the news out of the uh, baseball world mike martin jr is the newest coach of the florida state seminoles baseball program well that didn't take very long did it uh, he su- succeeds his dad. He's been with his dad for 20-something years, and um, uh, you know, on the diamond, and now he takes over the program. Good or bad for Florida State? I think it can be interpreted in a couple of ways. Does it kind of feel like, oh, that was a given? You know, that just kind of had to happen. Mike Martin got to pick his son as the, the successor. Uh, as the next head coach and you know what maybe Mike Martin has earned that if he had a big say in it I'm sure it was one big endorsement from Mike Martin you want to keep the people that have uh, been such a big part of a program like that and you want to keep them together and you want to keep them involved uh, I guess you could argue if you're not for the move that Mike Martin maybe had too much say or maybe the Florida State administration just didn't feel like They could go outside the family to do it. But I think there are uh, benefits to to having Mike Martin Jr. And then I think there is the sentiment that I just uh, talked about that says, "Eh, maybe they should have tried a little something different. Uh, Keep in mind, no national championships at Florida State despite all the success. Maybe someone else, maybe some some other name takes them over the top. Jeff Johnson from Chipola, a guy that uh, many people have uh, talked about uh, obviously, doesn't get the job uh, in his mid-50s. And I know I talked to a bunch of folks uh, in this area that kind of knew him. And, and they thought he might have been a good choice, uh, might have been the best choice, uh, and at least had a legitimate chance to get the baseball job in Tallahassee uh, for Florida State. But it's Mike Martin, Jr. That just came out a couple hours ago. Some reports of that. Uh, and uh, Mike Martin's career ends, and a day later, Mike Martin, Jr.'s uh, career as a head baseball coach at Florida State, uh, continue. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. If you have some thoughts on it, make sure you jump in. Star Star 690, uh, the place to do that, 904-362-9901 is our phone number. And uh, we are going to pick another winner today for the Guns N' Roses tickets out of our Roses are Red and Violets are Blue because we continue to get them in. So if you want to share some more thoughts on Roses are Red, Violets are Blue and finish it off with a little Jags, we'll give away another pair of tickets uh, to Guns N' Roses later today. We had some fun with that over the last couple of days. We really had some uh, fun, creative responses. So you can do that on the social media channels, of course. Uh, once we get the video up and running, that will be going on uh, Facebook, ESPN 690, uh, Twitch, ESPN 690, Jacks, on YouTube, at Jacks, and right here on Twitter, at Jacks, uh, which you can also follow along on Periscope. But uh, jump in, share your thoughts on, on all the different things going on. You know, it's kind of interesting, Friday, uh, really without a lot of football going on at all. You know, I, I mean, we could make some stuff up. Uh, when it comes to the football world, but we're not going to do it. Uh, it's just not, not worth it. We, worth it? I think we put the football down uh, to a degree. Now, we will talk Jags later on because we continue to celebrate 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we continue to have a lot of guests on. But when you're talking about big topics, big talking points, really not a lot of them uh, coming out of the football world right now. All is quiet as you head into like the 4th of July weekend. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, the Jags, the last couple of days, we had Marcel Robinson on yesterday, and he had the, the seven-on-seven tournament that the Jags host. And, you know, Mo Williams, we had an interview with him. Josh Allen, uh, Jags rookie, was hanging around those parts, too, uh, getting to see some of the young kids and having a little bit of an influence. Marcus Pollard, some other Jags like Avery Jones, they were also a part of it. So the Jags are in town. In fact, I saw Calais Campbell yesterday when I was down at Jags headquarters. I was a little bit surprised that uh, some of the Jags are still in town. I think kind of finishing up maybe... Some of their work, uh, the, the weight room stuff, they can probably still get treatment down at the facility. Uh, whatever they need is right there at their fingertips. And, and maybe it also indicates that uh, a lot of those guys aren't going far uh, for the Jags. Uh, I talked to Calais, I think when they broke, he just went out to the World Series of Poker, in fact, and, and was playing. He's a big poker player. And as much as i had been around Calais Campbell in the past, I didn't realize that he was such a big poker player and, in fact, has a passion for it, trying to get better. Uh, and, you know, he didn't make it too, too far out there uh, at the the World Series of Poker, but he did tell me that um, he's like, I'm like a rookie. He's like, I'm like Josh Allen. <laughs> he's like, I, 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 these other guys are 12-year vets, so I've got a lot of learning to go. He said he made a mistake, and that's what kind of got him out of it, but uh, pretty cool to see some of these guys' passions off the football field, and this is the time to explore them, and uh, Calais had mentioned that he was going to do that to me, and also... Uh, probably go on a little bit of a vacation. But all in all, I think a lot of these Jags players still stay around here, use the facility, and get ready for a season. It's a short summer. Uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we'll hit on the Jags a little bit later, but more in retrospect And 25 seasons as we continue to uh, look forward to the 2019 season. And once again, we'll do that with uh, Brian Sexton in a little bit. Some uh, motocross riders will join us throughout the course of the show, one coming up at 3.30. I look forward to talking to them, learning a little bit more about this sport and what's it like going 50, 60 miles an hour, jumping some 70, 80 feet Across uh, those hills and uh, landing on the dirt and hopefully uh, landing on two wheels or at least one and uh, continuing to ride. So a lot to get to. uh, Have some fun here on a Friday. You're more welcome to join the conversation. Austin Lane off uh, for the weekend because we call him Mr. Monday through Thursday. He doesn't work on Fridays much anymore, Coos. But uh, we've got it from here along with the listeners here on Action Sports Jackson on ESPN 690. Cool to be on the road again. Thanks for hanging with us as we get you ready for a weekend in Jacksonville. Enjoy that summer under the hot summer sun. It's going to be a hot one this weekend. We'll be back on ESPN 690 right after this. Hey, welcome back on the Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. I think we might be able to see the video feed now, and you'll see the cool setup we have uh, on Twitter and all the different places. Yeah, there we are. Plus, you'll see my cool hat. So if you're watching on uh, all the different platforms, I'm trying to stay sun safe, people. I've got my sunscreen, and I'm trying to stay. Listen, I had two options. I could be in a tent, which is like a white party tent. There's nothing in the background. Or I could come out here in the video and show you what's behind us. Got our nice little ESPN 690 flag waving. We got some big rigs doing some work, moving some dirt. And we got the course all set up tomorrow's motocross championships uh right here in jacksonville on the west side so we figured oh, what's the heck sweat a little bit who cares i don't mind the sun so let's do it thanks uh, for hanging out with us glad you're along for the ride hey coos let's talk a little bit about the nba draft uh keith smith's gonna join us at the top of the hour nba on twitter uh and we'll talk uh, a little bit more about it and get in depth about the winners the losers and all the other different teams uh but let's talk about the top, because that's what people care about. $120,000 watch for Zion Williamson. The watch is over for Williamson. We knew he'd go number one. Uh, an emotional night uh, all over the place for the NBA, which I thought was actually kind of cool to see. The 10th year in a row, did I see this right, Coos? The 10th year in a row, a, the number one pick was a freshman coming out of college? Uh, Did I see that correctly?
4: I didn't see that stat, but that's probably – I mean, honestly, it's probably true because these players will get so much hype, and it always is like someone new every year, or at least yeah, it feels probably, that way.
3: Yeah, it certainly does, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think um, it makes sense, uh, and it also makes sense why we're going to the rule eventually, I believe, in 2022, where high school kids can now – I mean, I, I, listen, I if I, – if I could advise someone, I'd say go to college for the year. I think it's beneficial on a lot of levels. I think there are going to be more misses now for high school kids going right to the pros. But in the grand scheme of things, I and mean, we're talking 365 days, uh, and I think it's the right of the kid if they want to to go to the NBA right out of high school, even though I don't always think it's the smartest thing. But essentially now, if you're drafting number one overall freshman every single time, uh, or just guys that are one and dones, Well, I mean, is there that big a difference? So I I was a little stunned by that stat. I didn't realize it was that deep uh, in terms of ten years in a row. But Mm -hmm. Zion Williamson, Kuz, talk about him a little bit. Emotional night for him. We'll hear from him in just a moment. How much of a star. I mean, we've laid off the NBA talk a little bit. Everybody's been on the Zion train. He's a fun kid. Uh, He's a really good basketball player. Electric. He looks like he's got an electric personality. A fantastic smile. Million-dollar smile. How much of a superstar is this kid going to be, man?
4: Well, and that's you. You know, you have two ways to look at it, and this is essentially what I was, you know, debating with friends earlier. Is you know he's already a superstar, and he hasn't even played a game because of all the hype. Uh, and I have friends saying, well, he can't be a superstar because he hasn't played a game yet. But with all the you know media and everybody was so tuned into this kid and just wanted to know everything about him that I think that already gives him that superstar status. And in terms of you know on field or on court production i should say i think he's going to be i think he's going to be great i believe if i'm not mistaken this is the second first uh pick that the the pelicans have ever had so him and anthony davis is going to be two great uh examples for them so you you know you hope you hope he comes um comes out balling essentially and you know, there are some questions on size, whether he's going to play the four or the five or the three, because he's kind of too small to get, you know, banging down low, but he's kind of too big to be guarding the smaller guys. So you wonder where he's going to land, but I think he's going to do just fine. And, you know, you, like you said, you saw how emotional he was afterwards. And I, I mean, I was watching that and I was like, oh man, this is somebody that was like, he wanted this so bad. So, you know, it obviously makes you really happy for him.
3: Yeah, all right, Kuz, let's play some of that sound right now. Let's hear from Zion Williamson last night. Emotional night now for the number one pick.
5: Well, Zion, certainly the moment we all anticipated, but you've been waiting for this moment since you were five. How would you describe being the number one overall pick in this draft?
6: I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I didn't think I'd be in this position. My mom sacrificed like a lot for me. I, w- I wouldn't be here without my mom. She did, she did everything for me. I just want to thank her. She put her dreams aside from mine. She always, looked,
3: she
7: always looked out for the family friends where herself.
3: Well, that's Zion Williamson, as you can tell, all choked up. And uh, I think it's pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, uh, to be vulnerable in that position, to, to be respectful of, of what got you there, to, to be able to acknowledge the journey at such a young age. You know, that's what hit me yesterday a bit is these guys – I mean, I have two 14-year-olds. And this is nothing to take away from my two 14-year-olds. <laughs> but Zion Williamson is like, what, 19? Yeah. 20?
4: Yeah.
3: Is he 19 or 20? I mean, right? He's 20 years old, maybe? And, uh, you know, because somebody of got to stay back now. And so maybe he was 19. Come He's out, actually 18. 20, but somewhere in between. I mean, is he just 18? Yeah. Okay. I just can't imagine my kids being able to be put in that spotlight. And I always say this about the spotlight. And this, again, it's not a knock on my kids. It's not a knock on anybody's kids. It's just amazing how much these kids, these superstar kids, mature so much earlier. And, like, they have to mature. Now, mm-hmm. they make mistakes. I'm not saying they're perfect. But if you go back and look at the world like Tim Tebow grew up in, in the microscope, when everybody knew he was going to be good and thought he was going to be good, and and bam, he was good. And if you go back and look at, like, a Bryce Harper Uh, You know, how comfortable he became quickly, I guess, in front of a microphone. If you go back and even look in here in Jacksonville, Leonard Fournette. See, Leonard Fournette is one of those guys. Leonard Fournette's probably Zion Williamson-esque, can relate a bit, because he was 12 years old on the Pop Warner field, and everybody's like, this dude is going to be a stud. Now, I can tell you, on the 12-year-old baseball fields, the basketball courts, the football fields, everybody always says this guy's going to be a stud. This guy's going to be a stud. Look at him. Well, you know what happens is other people grow up and catch up and you kind of stall out a little bit or something happens where you like girls or video games more than playing the sport and putting the dedication in or maybe you just become a punk. I don't know. Uh, There's things that happen. And so all those kids that are projected at 12 and 13 years old to be these superstars, that doesn't always pan out. It's a lot harder than that. The story hasn't been written just yet. Well, for Zion Williamson, he fits these categories for me in terms of the guy that probably was pegged pretty early on because of his athleticism and his size, and, and even it coming out of high school, and, and then the big year at Duke, and now he's supposed to be this superstar. And in the NBA, there's a lot of guys that are pegged to be that way, and they actually turn out to be that way. We've talked about this before, how many times you can hit on a top-five pick, and it's really not that difficult. They usually scout them the right way and project them the right way. Well, this guy has another layer to him, though, because he's so, uh, his, again, the smile says so much. Like, he feels like a guy you want to be around. He feels like just a cool dude, a cool young man, a mature young man. And I am just always so impressed with that. Uh, again, my kids are four or five years away from that age. They are going to live a totally different world in terms of having to grow up that fast, like the Leonard Fournettes, the Zion Williamson's uh, of the world. And the Bryce Harper's of the world, and uh, I think there's something to envy about that. I think there's something to admire about that. I also think it's tough as heck. And uh, Zion Williamson appears to ha- handle it all so well. And I thought the the best part of that was his his in that spotlight. Yeah, he's wearing the one hundred twenty thousand dollar watch. Yeah, it's his moment. It's finally come true. But again, to have the vulnerability to admit and to acknowledge and to kind of understand this whole process in that moment, I thought showed a maturity about him that was uh, that was pretty, pretty darn good. So I hope he's a stud. I have been on record saying I'm not sure he's going to be as much of a stud as everybody thinks he is going to be from a basketball standpoint. Uh, a couple months ago, we were talking about Anthony Davis. I said Zion Williamson, I don't think we'll have the career Anthony Davis will have. And now Anthony Davis is a superstar. <laughs> so that's a high bar. But that's what everybody that's a number one pick, they get set to that high bar. And I think at the end of the day, we'll look back, and I I think Anthony Davis will be a better player than Zion Williamson, is my point. But... I do think this guy has superstardom written all over him, and I think he'll have a very good NBA career. I just don't think we'll talk about him at the end of the day like LeBron James or like a Michael Jordan or or one of those, Kobe Bryant. I I don't think we get to that point um, when it comes to Zion Williamson, but it'll be interesting to watch. It'll be interesting as it unveils to see exactly where his career goes, how he fits, who's brought up some of the things from a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint. Uh, I, I know... Austin likes to bring up Blake Griffin, although we looked it up yesterday and there is a big size difference. I mean three or four inches in the NBA is a big deal. And Blake Griffin was a six ten guy. Uh Zion Williams is a six seven guy. I think the skill set for Zion Williamson couze is better than Blake Griffin's. I think Griffin was just kind of that bigger, broader baller and and uh good bruiser to a degree. Um but I like Zion Williamson's skill set actually better uh than Blake Griffin's and, and I think the bar's too low if you think he's going to be like Blake Griffin.
4: I kind of agree with you, uh, Blake Griffin. At least when Blake Griffin came in, he was kind of that dunker. That you know, that's why Lob City became a thing. Him and some other pieces, but um, like he was, Blake was able to develop a shot and and develop a game pretty pretty quickly. Um, so if he can follow that timeline, like Zion's already got some of that. But if Zion follows that timeline of what Blake did and slowly adapted to the changing um, NBA, you know. It, the way it's going, I think I think that could be really cool too. Um, and in terms of the uh, star potential, like Anthony Davis, you were saying, ESPN was posting this out there that um, on their their analytics model that they have, um, Zion got a fifty nine percent chance of being a star, and the only one that has it higher is actually Anthony Davis, or had it higher coming in was Anthony Davis at sixty one percent.
3: Really. Yeah. Wow, that's a good note right there. I did not see that. I don't know. What do they classify? Do you know what the characterization is for that, Kuz? I never really... Like, what is a
7: star? You know, like,
3: how do they classify that?
4: I've never gotten, like, a full explanation on that. And that's the part that always kind of makes me not want to bring up those percentages because I never really... got what they meant by, you know, yeah. the star analytic model, like what what they're classifying as. But I would assume, you know, making it to all-star level, making it to, you know, all NBA teams and, and stuff like that is definitely a factor.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you start building the resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we kind of know what a star is, but I wonder what their metrics are for that. That's interesting. I did not realize that. And I, I do think, listen, if you bet on these people, it's like quarterbacks in the NFL draft. If you want to bet on this to... To either be successful or fail, well, your betting odds are better if you you bet on them to fail. It's easier to fail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to be a superstar. I don't care if you were drafted a superstar or not. I mean, it's a hard thing to project people what they're going to be, if they're going to stay healthy, you know, what they're going to have around them. So. Uh, Listen, I'm rooting for the kid. I think he he seems like a cool dude, and I I think it's a nice fit in New uh, New Orleans. I'm almost glad he didn't go to New York. I don't wish New York on on anybody. We'll talk (laughs) R.J. Barrett a little bit later on. But right now, I I think New Orleans is a cool deal. They're hitting the reset button. They traded away another pick, so they had number 8, number 17, number 35 along with Zion Williamson. They already have some pieces from the Lakers. They can build this thing pretty quick. They all grow up together. It will be a lot of fun to watch New Orleans, I think, in the NBA. Now, for the next uh, three, four, five years.
4: Now, one of the questions I have, and you kind, of, you kind of alluded to RJ a little bit, is this is another stat. Zion, RJ, and Cam, uh, you know, all from Duke. Second school in the Common Era draft to have three players taken top ten. Do you know who was the other team?
3: Yeah, Florida. Yeah. I saw, I mean... So, I, I think I would have got that anyway. <laughs> well but yeah. But I I think I saw it a lot. I mean it obviously was pretty well documented over the last day, but
4: But my question is will the trio of Zion, R J and Cam be perceived as better than the trio of Noah, Horford and Brewer? Yeah, that's a good question,
3: Coos. Uh, I like it. I like yeah. it. Hang on to that one. We'll ha- we'll have that one when Keith Smith joins us uh, in the four o'clock hour. But I like that question a lot, and we'll put it out there and get your thoughts on it. Star Star six ninety is the number nine zero four three six two nine nine zero one as well. When we come back, we're gonna talk a little racing, talk a little motocross. What's it like to get on one of these bikes? Uh, what's going on here this weekend? How can you get involved, have fun, do a little something different in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's gonna be hot for the beach. My golf game stunk today. My back was even a little hurt, and Got beat by Ty again. I mean, it's just, I don't even want to play golf. Uh, sick of the baseball and softball, maybe? Have a weekend off? Uh, tired of the family? Just come out with your buddies. I'll tell you all about it. How to be a part of this thing. Pretty cool deal. Uh, here on the west side of Jacksonville, we'll tell you all about it. And uh, talk to a driver. A driver? Yeah. A rider? A driver? A Rider. 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 I better get that down. We'll figure it out. Stay with us. Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690. This looks like so much fun here at WW Ranch Motocross Park. Uh, Let's go racing. Let's go riding. I I missed the uh, amateur rides earlier this afternoon. Didn't get to it. but Heck, even driving uh, one of these dirt movers on this track wouldn't be a bad idea. Brent Martineau here at Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690. Glad to be joined by Blake Baggett. Uh, right now, who will race uh, tomorrow here at the Florida National is what it's called. The Florida National at WW Ranch Motocross Park. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, no doubt. I admittedly uh, just told you I'm a novice at this stuff, but I think it's cool. It's not like I've ever seen it, but uh, I'm far from an expert. Give us a sense of of this setting for what you guys do and how it differs. Is this pretty cool being out here on the west side of Jacksonville?
5: Yeah, definitely. There, uh, there hasn't been a you know a pro national in the state of Florida in quite some time. It's been, um, you know, well longer than my racing career. So, um, you know, definitely everybody kind of has uh, has migrated to Florida. So it's pretty cool. The a lot of the. Probably top ten out of both classes have basically migrated to the state of Florida, and they're all training here because of the humidity and the weather and the temperature. So I, I actually did the same thing from California and have my own training facility just south of here. So it's, uh, it's really nice for all of us guys to just be able to drive here. We're two, three hours away at the, at the most, and, you know, there's a perfect setting. This is basically close to what we're, all the training facilities that are here in the state of Florida are pretty much like this WW Ranch track. Um there's lots of sand on this track and they've created man-made elevation which is really cool and it's uh, it's my first time being here as well but it's definitely uh it's a good environment it's Florida so you know everybody's used to getting out in the hot and weather and stuff like that so I think it's going to be a good turnout and I think the track's going to turn out to be one of the uh you know more unreal kind of gnarly epic good racing great for tv great for you know to watching for the fans because of the way that the soil is going to turn out it's a little bit sandy it's really fast so it's going to get rough so i think it's going to bring a lot of action to uh to the facility now when you say action what do you mean uh exactly mean just not passing staying on two wheels yeah or, i mean or you what? you could you could throw it any way you want it and uh, see what it sticks but yeah it's definitely uh you know, action as in it's just going to be the track's going to kind of deteriorate and uh, there's there's going to be a lot of passing, I feel. Um, there's going to be, you know, with the weather, guys are going to get getting tired, so they'll be passing because they're getting tired. Um, they're definitely, you know, it's it's high speed, so there could be could be some definitely some get-offs and, and some crashes, but it, it's kind of one of those tracks where I think that uh, as the day goes on, you're going to see guys, you know, fatigue and, and making mistakes and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's one of those ones that I think there'll be a lot of action it won't be boring by all means. You said uh, it's hard to be boring it looks like uh with this stuff but you said
3: something that piqued my interest uh, you're a california guy but you want to be here you reside now in Leesburg florida because of the humidity and the heat and uh, now what's the attraction there in this sport i would think maybe you'd want to get away from that uh, yeah. most
5: people do like to get away I from mean, that but definitely the like you say the most people would want to get away with it and uh if you're smart that's uh you know you'd want to get away with it but ideally that uh you know humidity heat is is all about suffering <laughs> and uh that that attracts this the this breed of of guys. So um pretty much where it's hot, where it's miserable and where it's you know you wanna suffer is where you wanna train. So we uh you know, a lot of us have, have picked Florida and um you can't get any farther south, you know. Absolutely. You, you gotta take a plane or a boat. So So it doesn't Um, do anything to the bikes
3: or to the rider or the races itself. I mean, because you go to Daytona, right, in in the heat of the summer, you know, the the temperature on that track sometimes changes the race. It's a different race in July than it is in February with the stock cars. Does the heat, humidity, weather factor anything at all with the, the actual racing that goes on?
5: I, you know, it just just affects the, uh, you know, the heat will make the bikes hot, but as far as affecting the track, it, uh, no, it has nothing to do with track. I mean, pretty much here, what it affects on the on the speedway cars, as far as the the cars, the tracks, the tires getting temperature and everything like that, that's just basically the effects that it happens to the rider here. So instead of it happening to the car, it happens to the rider here. Um, the bikes really don't care. The track changes so much from lap to lap. There's no consistency because we're on sandy soil and dirt. And clay, so it uh, the weather doesn't really affect much of that unless it's rain, then uh, then it turns to mud for us. But really, just the temperature and the humidity is what affects our bodies, and then that's uh, that, that affects the whole program.
3: We're uh, with Blake Baggett here uh, on the west side, uh, WW Ranch Motocross Park, the Florida National take place tomorrow, so it's quite a scene here this weekend on the west side of Jacksonville. A little resume on uh, Blake Baggett former 250 class champion, two-time winner in this division just last week and won uh, first moto of the season. We'll ask you about that in a moment. Currently sits eighth in the 450 class. Uh, what was the win like last week? What does that do for your confidence? Uh, is it a momentum thing in this sport at all?
5: Uh, you know, it's just I, I've had a rough go up until then, kind of struggle the first few rounds, so it's it uh, just kind of digs it up that uh, it's still there. It's in there. It's not it's not lost and forgotten. It's there, and i uh, just got to dig back to it and, and get back to it, and Make sure that, uh, that, you know, we can, we can do it again. So, once, uh, you know, it feels good to be able to do it. And it wasn't that long ago, it was only last weekend. So, just need to, uh, to perfect my, uh, my second moto and, and that you know that'll bring overall results, but uh, just gonna take it one moto at a time. Kind of had the bad round, so not really worried about championship at this point. Just uh, just gonna try to go for moto wins and see what we got. We uh, see a lot of different sports. Uh, I think you know we talk NASCAR now, then
3: not too far from Daytona, and I think for the most part, I mean you'll have your uh, your your mix-ups, but the drivers and the teams seem to get along real well. Uh, heck, we talk about golf, and it, it seems like all these guys are buddies now out on the golf course and rooting for each other when they win a race What's the camaraderie like uh, in this? Sport? Uh, do you guys hang out with each other? Uh, is, is it is it a traveling road
5: show? Uh, do you, is it clicky? What, what's it like? I would say it's kind of just certain, I would say clicks. You know, there's certain clicks. There'll be a group of four or five guys that'll ride together. And then, you know, there's some clicks that are just, you know, solo guys. So, um, there's you know, in the 450 class, I would say that there's there's like four four groups of people. There's, you know, two or three solo clicks or so, and then there's you know two or three groups, so there might be four guys that are running up front in the 450 class that all ride together. Um, myself, I'm I'm more of the solo click guy, um, but it, it's kind of whatever works for you and whatever you feel uh, feel benefits you. And um, you know, we only work on the weekend, Saturday. So <laughs> the rest of the week we have our, our time. But you know, we're training and getting things ready. But um, you know, it's pretty much go time on Saturday, and I think everybody normally gets along pretty well. But at the same time, you're you're battling for uh, for cash. So anytime there's money involved, it uh, it gets greedy sometimes.
3: I think as a kid, this especially, but I mean even as an adult. But uh, but as a kid, it, when your first look at this kind of stuff, right? Uh, even a dirt bike, just a some some kid riding around the the neighborhood in a dirt bike uh, or in an open field, uh, it's really cool looking. It's fun. Uh, so I can see the attraction to it. But when in your world did you say, hey, I'm going to do this and I might have a chance to do this for a living? Uh, did you grow up on it?
5: Yeah, I grew up racing the whole time. Um, you know, I started on, on the small bike in the field or in the backyard, you know, got a bike for, for Christmas and kind of just took off from there. And then I um, was fortunate enough, parents taking me taking me racing and raced locally in California and then, you know, stepped it up. You know, it was good enough that uh, my parents were like, oh, well, you know, you'll go, we'll drive to Arizona, drive to Texas. And then soon enough, I'm in, uh, for 10 years straight, i we raced pretty much every pro national or amateur national there was, and uh, all the way from California to Florida from uh, pretty much 1999 to 2009, I did that, and then in 2010, I turned pro. So, it, uh, you know, we did 10 years of 30,000 miles traveling a year, living in a motorhome, just driving around race to race, and uh, and that's kind of... You know what it was back in the day. Now, of course, you can you can do it a little different. There's a lot more up and coming amateur stuff, and they help the amateurs bring in like like you spoke about when we first started. There's amateur day here. Um, There wasn't as many of those back then, so now it's really where the amateurs can come here and uh, you know from a beginner to the girls' class um, or 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 pro amateur as they call it right before you go pro. You can ride the same track we're riding, so it's really a a nice stepping stone for uh, for the younger competitors coming Uh, up all right el chupacabra
3: did i say that right yeah uh that's your nickname yes what's the (laughs) backstory
5: the backstory on that is uh 2011 um you know leading a race winning a race on the 250 class and uh just full carnage cartwheeled (laughs) myself and uh got back up my visor was actually just completely spun around which most of the time when you when you crash um as you can look through YouTube videos and stuff, most of the time, the motorcycle helmet, the visor just comes off if you crash hard enough. Somehow, my side bolts broke, but the center bolt stayed on, so the visor was completely backwards, and uh, and I was able to come back and win, win the moto. Really? So uh, the announcers at the time... I had a little inner bet going on to use some words, and El Chupacabra was the one. And they uh, they pulled it out there, and it kind of just stuck from there on. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to try to sneak that into my
3: sportscast on TV a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, what El they had. They right? had a
5: little bet where, yeah. you know, one guy comes up with a name or a or, or word. And then the other guy has a word, and it's a competition of who can throw it in but not have it obvious. Not forced. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's great. I love it. makes
3: through yeah. my first job in Louisiana, my boss had that. sports director had that. And uh, he was like part of this theater group or something. And they would text him a word every single night that he had to try to get in the sportscast. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll try that from now. Try it on CBS 47 and Fox 30 or right here on ESPN 690. And we'll have to work that into a show. We'll have a little uh, viewer and listener. Uh, participation all right last thing and I'll let you run I appreciate you taking a few minutes Uh, Blake Baggett with us get ready for a big day tomorrow here at WW Ranch Motocross Park Florida National uh debuting uh right here on the west side of Jacksonville all right I see that big mound of dirt It looks like a lot of fun although I don't think I'd want to do it uh when you're flying in the air Mm -hmm. uh what's the feeling what's the sensation do you slow I mean is that like slow motion for you um, is everything yeah. fast motion and uh, take take a take our listeners for a ride a little bit
5: in the air i mean you know going up the face is fast because everything's coming coming so quick and you, you know the rpms of the bike and everything are up and then as soon as that front wheel leaves the ground the rear wheel follows it before you know it and then in the air is just um you know you can move the bike around and twist it and turn it basically kind of to a certain extent um, the better you get the more you can move it around and uh and then you know it's just kind of a waiting game of you know flying through the air. It's just free falling, um, and then when you know when you hit the ground, it's full throttle and back back to a business. But uh, you know that the the better you get is where the air time you actually want to be minimal. Because in the air you're not going forward, so that's when you start seeing the guys throw the bikes. You know, that basically they're completely ninety degrees and laying sideways, or they're or they're you know almost backwards. And it's just trying to, you know, catch the air and and scrub it and get it back to the ground. So the better you get, the guys are, you know, at the beginners, they'll be straight up and down. And then, uh, you know, you'll know when somebody goes by that's good because the bike's laid over pretty far in the air.
3: (laughs) Well, I got a feeling we'll be seeing that from you. Oh, Chupacabra, Uh, nice uh, getting to know you, Blake Baggett. From Grant Terrace, California, now lives in uh, Leesburg, Florida. Check him out tomorrow in the 450 class. Thanks, man.
5: Thank you. Enjoy it.
3: Florida National tomorrow, WW Ranch Motocross Park. More from here and more on that, plus a little baseball. Mike Martin, Jr., the new coach of the Florida State baseball team. What does it mean? Good decision? That's on the way next on ESPN 690. All right, here's the deal. Tomorrow at WW Ranch Motocross Park, get ready for it. It's going to be a big Saturday, 8 o'clock in the morning, practice and qualifying for both classes, opening ceremonies at 1230 right under the hot Florida sun. Got to love it. 1 o'clock motos for 450 class and 250 class. Tickets start at 50 bucks for adults, $20 for kids, 6 to 11. And if you need more information, ProMotocross.com, the place to go, and uh, we are at WW Ranch Motocross Park uh, in Jacksonville. They're trying to make this thing the the best track in the southeast, uh, which is kind of cool. It's a, a pretty neat deal that they. I mean, it is. We, you're only if you're watching on the video platforms, you're seeing the the track behind us, and they're doing some work and getting it ready for tomorrow and the big event, uh, the U.S. Assure, Assure Florida National. But way over in the distance. I mean, it, it looks like the infield at Daytona a little bit with the, all the RVs, and there's a lot of activity going on, so uh, a lot of fun with the trailers and, and all the bikes and the riders and their teams, uh, so it's a pretty cool scene out here uh, at uh, WW Ranch Motocross Park. And right now, uh, we are glad to be joined on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with another rider, Adam Ciarullo. Did I say it
2: right? Oh yeah, you got Close it. Close Yeah, I I even mess it up all the time. <laughs> like, you kind of just got to get in the ballpark.
3: Uh, good enough from Port Orange, Florida. So
2: right down the road, man. You're used to this heat. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I've been uh, riding in this stuff since I was five years old. So, uh, it, it never really gets any easier. I think you just you get used to it a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm excited to you know race a Pro Motocross National in my home state. It's pretty crazy. That's pretty awesome. Uh, how cool? How fired up are folks? To- uh, that
3: have a Florida National. Um, I just mentioned they want to make this track uh, the best in the southeast. Can they do it? Is that possible?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think they've done a great job with this facility. It's a relatively new facility. I think it's been here since 2011, 2012 um, area there, and um, they've done a great job. I mean, it, people come from all over um, just to ride this track. A lot of people come down from uh, you know up in the northeast and come down here for the wintertime and you know get their riding in and stuff like that. So I've I actually haven't had a chance to ride here too much. Um, I'm a couple hours away, but uh, like I said, I've heard great things about it and had a chance to get out there and do a few laps earlier. And it's a world-class facility for sure. And everybody's just really excited um, you know, to have a you know, pro motocross race back in Florida. It's been 22 years since we've had one here, crazy. so it's, uh, it's crazy. And I know I have a lot of friends and family coming out as well. They, they don't get to see me race too much in person anymore, so um, everybody's really fired up. That's probably, I don't know if you're the right guy to ask, but why has it been so long? I mean, everything's in Florida. Yeah, I mean, we could bench race about this all day. I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I think sometimes just, you know, with with how the, the, the promoters, with the tracks and all that, and how they work with MX Sports and, um, you know, the people that put on this yeah, series. Yeah, sponsorship are, dollars. Yeah, big exactly. Part it's so true. it's just kind of, um, yeah, everything just has to go well. And there, there's a lot of really good facilities out there, too. So yeah. it's basically like... You know, everybody's trying to get one of these races, and um, it's just really cool to see one back here in Florida. And I, and I hope we're, uh, you know, I hope we have this for for many years to come.
3: Yeah, traditions are tough to break. First of all, so something has to open up on the schedule. Then I did kind of answer my own question. I said there's a lot going on in Florida already. So is there room for sponsorship dollars and other events and right. TV and all those things? So there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, give us a sense. Uh, it, you, you seem like a young guy. How old are you? I'm 22. Yeah. Uh, how is this uh, sport in terms of growth? uh and and the kids grow up wanting to be like you and and you wanted to be like the other guy uh, how, how much is this a dream for for youngsters
2: yeah i mean it's just like anything else man we start so young i mean i it's everything i know i mean as a as a human being i mean i this is all <laughs> i've wanted to be since i remember thinking for myself you know i i got on a dirt bike at three years old and i remember watching jeremy mcgrath who's the, the king of supercross he won seven supercross championships and um, you know, a couple outdoor championships as well, and um, yeah, I mean, it's always been my dream, you know, since I since I can remember, like I said, and um, we have to put everything into it, I mean, I, I went to school through elementary school, and obviously did the homeschool thing all the way through high school, but um, I mean, I was putting, I was on my, on my way to the track, I was doing my homework, and you know, I was, <laughs> so it's just like anything else, you got to put in a lot of time and hours to be to make it to this point you know a lot of the friends i grew up racing with they they didn't get the opportunity i did and they didn't get the chance to get to this level you know but they still put in all those years too so it's a little bit of a risk you know because you're kind of missing out on the whole school thing and you're not quite sure if you're going to make it and um yeah but it's man it's worth every it's worth every bit of time and Everybody, effort for sure.
3: That's cool that you say that. I'm sure there are folks listening too. Like, man, I mean, he didn't go to school at all. He's on the road all the time. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he did go to a prom or something like that, or maybe he didn't. No,
2: yeah, it's it's crazy because um, uh, you know with our sport, what's different is it's not integrated into the school system at all. So you know, whereas some maybe uh, you know somebody that likes to play baseball will play baseball all the way through high school, and then okay, he's not good enough to get a you know get a college offer, and and that's the end of it. But he went to high school, he did everything. For us, it's like you kind of got to lay it all on the line so young. And then you're kind of going to find out if you're going to make it a little bit later, you know. So it's a little bit of a risk, but um, I think anybody will tell you whether you make it or not, it's worth it. You know, we, we love what we do.
3: You're the leader in the 250 class right now. What? Co- how much weight comes with that? Pressure comes with that every time you fire it up on a track like this in an event?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pressure, but I'm a, I'm a veteran in the class now, and I think I kind of have a good understanding of the mentality I need to take in each weekend. And I'm on a little bit of a streak here. I've won four races in a row to start the series. And um, with that being said, there's a lot of racing left. I, eight rounds left, I think, something like that. Um, so it, it, you can't really look at the whole championship thing too early or anything like that. I just want to go out there and do my best I can every time. Like, if you look to your right, look to your left, I mean, there's there's six or seven guys that can win the race. So, um that's that's my goal not to look to the right or the left (laughs) I just do my thing do the best I can and luckily that's been good enough so far and 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 that's what I need to keep doing.
3: Well, uh, you know the team name Monster Energy uh, Kawasaki. uh, That's a big name in in this sport, and uh, you're carrying that flag as well. uh, The most successful uh, team in the history of this sport. Adam Ciancerulo from Port Orange, Florida, right down the road. Good luck, man. Thank
2: you very much. Thanks for joining us for for a few minutes, all right? Absolutely.
3: Hey, come on out and see him tomorrow. ProMotocross.com is the website. 50 bucks for adults, $20 for kids. Take your kids out. I tell you, this is going to be a fun event. Uh, 8 o'clock practice and qualifying. Come watch that. 1 o'clock. Uh, the 450 and 250 class. More to come. We'll get back to the NBA draft a little bit. Uh, coming up next on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, live on the road from the west side, WW Ranch Motocross Park. It was an emotional night at the NBA draft last night for so many young men, of course, Zion Williamson leading the way, and uh, we're going to talk more about the NBA draft. I want to know the winners and losers. I want to know where everybody's positioned. Are there more teams now than ever before that are have so much entry going into the following season? I feel like there might be. I mean, it, this felt like a couple of years ago we had eh, maybe two or three teams at each side, Western and Eastern Conference. Now I feel like we've got so many I want to keep my eye on, uh, more so than, than I can remember in quite some time. We're going to bring in Keith Smith Keith Smith, at Keith Smith NBA, uh, following us to the NBA very closely. And uh, we bring him in a day after the draft, and we appreciate him uh, talking to us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 because I know he's probably been bombarded for the last 24 hours or so. Keith, thanks for joining us on a Friday. And and, uh, all right, man, I'm going to put you right on the spot. Your biggest winner of the NBA draft 2019 was which team?
1: I think you got to go with the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, that's an easy pick because they got Zion Williamson. But it's the work they did around that as well, getting Jackson Hayes and Nick Alexander Walker. Those guys are all going to be rotation players probably from day one for the Pelicans. And if you can land three rotation guys all in the same night, you have done pretty good work in a single draft.
3: All right, I'll do the flip side then, if you don't mind. How about the biggest loser? or you, At least the team, hard to say somebody's a loser on draft night before somebody even hits the floor that they drafted, but how about the team that you were least impressed with?
1: I'd say there were two teams that were a little puzzling throughout the day, the Phoenix Suns at the top of that list. They Their moves just kind of seemed to go uh, counter to each other. They made the move early on to really dump. P.J. Warren's contract, which made a lot of sense. But then they took on money later in the draft, which didn't make much sense there. And then the Philadelphia 76ers made a couple curious moves as well. As far as it sounds like the Boston Celtics played them a little bit and knew they wanted Matisse Thybul, and the Celtics jumped in front. And Well, didn't jump in front, but the Celtics stayed where they were, took Philly's guy, forced Philly to trade up for them. And then Philadelphia also traded out of a couple other picks when they really could have used some depth on that roster. So a couple, couple of teams there making some curious decisions.
3: Keith Smith with us here talking some NBA a day after the NBA draft and so much happening in the NBA world with free agency in the draft and uh, wait until June 30th and all these other uh, moves start happening. It's really been one heck of a daily soap opera in the NBA, and I think that's what's so attractive about the uh, league right now is it is something happening every day. You almost forget that Toronto won a championship about a week ago. Keith. I just mentioned, and I grew up watching the Boston Celtics. It was the Celtics, it was the Lakers, it was the Pistons, Michael Jordan came along, it was the Bulls. Uh, you know, you could throw another team in there if you want or two, but that, those were the teams. I think in the last couple of years, you know, it was Golden State, it was Cleveland. It, you could mix in a Boston team, or you throw in the Rockets, uh, San Antonio, you know, year in, year out, it might vary from that second, third team. I do feel like I'm interested in so many teams going into the 2019-2020 season now. I don't know if you agree, but one, because I think so many could be competitive. And then the other reason, like, New Orleans isn't going to be super competitive, I don't believe, in year one. But how they grow and watching Zion Williamson, I just find it every, there's so many teams that I think you could want to circle and say, I want to watch them on a given night. Do you agree or
1: disagree? No, I completely agree. Now you're talking to a guy who's going to watch Atlanta and Washington on a Tuesday in March, so it's it's that, that's pretty easy for me to say that. But uh but this what's going on in the league right now is you do have the one thing is the Warriors, they're not inevitable anymore. Everybody thought that they were going to be there, and they're they're just not. So that's that gives you one sense of hope that things may go slightly differently. And and of course the Raptors beating them helps with that as well. Now, then, on the flip side, the league is as flush with young talent as it has ever been, and it's not like everybody is just really young. There are good established veteran players who have been around for a while, which is really important. But these young guys, and they're spread all across the NBA, that makes it really exciting because, as you said, like with the Pelicans, they may not be very good. They may not win a lot of games, but they're going to be a team you're going to want to tune in and watch because they're going to be a lot of fun and you get to check out Zion and the rest of these young guys as they grow together as a core.
3: Keith Smith with us uh, at Keith Smith NBA, uh, talking to us about the NBA draft and all things NBA right now. And and by the way, Coos, you should be able to hear me a little better. And Keith, you should be able to hear me a little better because I made like a rookie mistake, although I'm not really a rookie anymore. We're sitting out here at the uh, motocross event, and I've got a dirt track behind me, and there's a, a lot of uh, moving vehicles and everything. Well, I picked up the wrong microphone, so that's probably why you couldn't hear me so well. So hopefully you can hear me a little bit better now. Um, and, and as we continue to talk <laughs> about the NBA, if you're watching on the video platforms, that's what we're at. We're at a Florida National Motocross event that will take place this weekend on the west side of, uh, of Jacksonville. Uh, all right, uh, let's go backwards a little bit, Keith, and, and ask you about this Anthony Davis trade. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, how did the Lakers shake out, and how will
1: they be uh, in, the, in the immediate future? Yeah, I think the Lakers, they, they had to do something here, because they essentially punted on LeBron James. 16th year. You couldn't go into year 17 for LeBron James and punt again, and there was no guarantee that they were going to be able to sign another superstar player in free agency. So they went out and made it happen. They got Anthony Davis. They gave up a lot to do it, of course, but it's Anthony Davis. He's in the prime of his career, and he wants to be in Los Angeles, so that makes the entire package they gave up Really important Now, in the near term, they've got to fill out that roster. They've got to figure out who's who's going to get in there, how are they going to do it. There's been a lot of debate. Are they best to spread this cap space around that they're going to have after the Davis trade, or should they go for another superstar and go from there? I'm of the opinion because of what we're going to see in about a week or so, week and a half here, 200 players, about 40% of the NBA, are going to become free agents. This is an enormous free agent class. Because of that, you're going to, and there's only 14 teams with meaningful cap space. So you add those things up, and what we're going to see is guys are going to be available who are very good players for exceptions and minimum contracts and things like that. And That's a way that the Lakers can really fill out with quality players around what will probably be three superstars.
3: Yeah, good uh it's going to be so fascinating. I mean you just mentioned all those players in free agency. It, it is going to be absolutely wild. I know you know the cap well. Uh the Lakers are obviously sitting pretty good in the cap. Are there some teams that are struggling and will not be able to make some moves? I mean, who who that we might not uh that might not be on the radar as much that has to be a little bit careful.
1: Yeah, I think you're looking at the top of the Western Conference teams like the Houston Rockets and Portland Trailblazers. Those are two teams that are well-positioned to maybe take that next step if the Warriors slide back to the pack a little bit. But the Rockets have no salary cap flexibility at all, with James Harden and Chris Paul on, you know, super max contracts, and then Clint Capella being paid a healthy number, and Eric Gordon. And across the up and down their roster, they're just really not well-positioned at all. And then on the flip side of that, you had Portland, and Portland is, you know, for years now has been kind of straddling the luxury tax line. And will they or won't they pay the tax? And they're, some years they're in it, some years they're not. And the challenge for the Blazers is because of that, that kind of hamstrings them on adding a lot of talent around Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So those two teams, they, they should still be plenty good. It's just not going to be – there's not a lot of improvement coming from the outside to help them. At Keith Smith, NBA is where you can
3: follow along with Keith. Contributes on a lot of different fronts, and uh, we're glad to have him here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, a day after the draft. I'm going to circle back to the draft for a question or two. Uh, Nasir Little is a guy that's from Orange Park just down the road here. Played a couple years at Oakleaf High School, then went and played high school ball at Orlando, um, and then for UNC for a year. Slipped in the draft. Uh, the guys last night on the broadcast calling him a steal at number 25 for Portland. Do you have any thoughts on Nasir Little, uh, a guy with a little bit of uh, local interest?
1: Yeah, I agree with that uh, assessment completely. This is guy is an absolute steal. He's got a great you know, NBA body, good athleticism, really understands how to play the game. He just struggled at North Carolina. North Carolina played some weird lineups. A lot of times there were four and five similarly sized guys out there. It wasn't really, you know, positionless basketball is what everybody wants, but when you don't have defined roles within that, it becomes really challenging. And I think Little just was caught up in that too much. So really struggled his freshman year. That caused him to slide. Then I think you saw a couple teams take guys they maybe had targeted to fill needs or fill a position of need. And I think that is what caused him to slide. I think Portland got themselves one heck of a player and now, you know, this is two local central florida kids with him and anthony simon a year ago going all the way to the west coast the northwest in in portland and those are two guys that a lot of people like and that's what you need if you're the blazers you need to hit on these draft picks because of what i said before they just don't have the salary cap flexibility to add town otherwise keith smith
3: with us uh, at keith smith nba do you believe I, I waited all the way to the end to really ask you about the the, the most burning question of last night, uh, the big three, uh, Zion, Job ja Morant, and uh, R.J. Barrett in the Knicks. Who do you feel like will be the stud out of those three? Because I think for some it's been debatable.
1: Yeah, I love all three of them, but it's going to be Zion. He, he just comes in with a complete package that you want. He, he can score, he can rebound, he can defend. His shot is coming along. He's a better playmaker than we saw him show at the college level. So he's really got the total package. And then, you know, off the court, he's a great kid. He's you know just one of these guys who people are going to really love rooting for. The guy I keep going back to for a comparison for him, if, if you want to rewind it, you know, several years back, early Larry Johnson with the Charlotte Hornets, who was a lot of fun in those grandma days when he would get up and down the court and he'd make all these plays that it looked like maybe a guy his size should make, that's the kind of guy you're going to see in Zion Williamson. That's an
3: awesome comparison. That's really good because, heck, I might have been, oh my gosh, I don't even know how old I was, but I feel like I was a, a teenager collecting like basketball cards or something at the time. And, and basketball cards weren't a big thing unless it's like Michael Jordan, but... Uh, Larry Johnson's basketball card was a big thing. Like, I mean, everything around that guy was a big thing. So I like the comp, especially off the court and the whole package and and kind of the big smile and what you can do from a marketability standpoint. I I think at the end of the day, uh, I mean, Johnson was a good player. I don't know if he's a great player. I think Zion Williamson has a
1: chance to be a great player. Yeah, Zion should be. You know, he he. You know, he projects to be a far better player than Larry Johnson. But I think people forget Larry Johnson was really really good for the Hornets at the beginning of his career. I think we kind of get stuck in the way he finished with the Knicks when he was really had had a lot of knee troubles. He was carrying a lot of extra weight, and he just wasn't the same guy. The guy he was early on, he was really an athletic marvel for his size, and he was kind of one of these players where it's like we don't know what to do with this guy. He's too he's too fast for the bigger forwards. He's too big. For the smaller forwards, he can you know get, get switches. And now with the NBA game, the way teams switch for Zion, he's going to be able to pick on guys when he has the opportunity by getting them down inside. It'll all come together for him. It might take a couple of years for him to fully figure it out because he is very, very young. He's only 19 years old. But he's going to figure it out pretty soon here, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
3: Keith, thanks for hanging with us, man. Really good stuff. Uh, Love to catch up with you a day after the NBA draft. I know it's going to be a busy week, so maybe in the next few weeks after free agency settles in, we'll catch up with you again. But uh, thanks for coming on at Keith Smith NBA. Have a good weekend. Have a good uh, rest of the summer and stay busy uh, with all the NBA chatter.
1: Absolutely. I don't think that'll be a problem. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
3: <laughs> no doubt about it. Not with a couple hundred free agents. <laughs> I think you said forty percent of the league. That is an unbelievable. How busy those guys in the NBA are. Uh, we're going to take a timeout on Action Sports jacks on ESPN six ninety. It also always brings me to the point. We're so uh, I, I wouldn't mind covering the NBA, but to cover it on a national level would feel so different than covering like the NFL. The NFL season goes from late summer through kind of the the early winter months. Uh, you know, wraps up in January, February, depending on how far you want to take it. Uh, And you do have stuff. It's kind of year-round now. But it seems so weird to have some of the biggest days, the, the NBA championship, the draft, the big day of free agency right in the heart of the summer, especially after living in Jacksonville for a dozen years. And really it's kind of more of a quiet time from a sports perspective uh, in this part of the world. So uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, the calendar is always interesting to me. Thanks to Keith Smith uh, for coming on at Keith Smith NBA. Really knows his stuff uh, on the NBA. All right, I asked a question earlier. What do you think about Mike Martin Jr. Florida State? Let's get back to it, plus another baseball thought or two. Uh, and then John Phillips visits with us in just a bit. Hang with us here on ESPN 690 live from the west side. And if you're watching Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690, you can see us on Twitter at BrendaSJax on Periscope as well. Of course, on YouTube, our Action Sports Jax channel on Twitch at ESPN 690 Jackson, on Facebook at ESPN 690. Thanks for hanging out. And if you are watching, you can see my nice lid that I have little bucket hat from the Action Sports Jacks Dream 18 years ago. We'll be giving out some pretty cool prizes at the Action Sports Jacks Dream 18. Coming up on September 16th at the Golf Club at Southampton. I played there today, by the way. And, of uh, course, it's really coming back. This time of year, everybody irrifies And the, the greens are looking really healthy. Uh, the rain has certainly helped. So I'm not sure if that's the case all over the place. I haven't actually played a ton of golf at a lot of different places. But uh, played Southampton a couple times this week. Uh, including today, and uh, it's coming back. It's in good shape. I think it's going to be really looking good uh, in in just – I mean, it's already looking good, but I think it's going to be really playing uh, great in terms of the greens in another couple of days or so. So uh, get on out to the golf club at Southampton. Make sure you join us on September 16th for the Action Sports Jacks Dream 18. Here's how you do it. Uh, You go to www.actionsportsjaxdream18.com. You get the information there. Open to the public. Uh, We're going to have a great day. It'll be the 10th anniversary of the Action Sports Jacks Dream 18. So love to have you. And uh, we raise money for... North Florida Junior Golf Foundation, help youth golf in the area. And also uh, St. Michael's Soldiers, which helps local military families. Kind of a grassroots effort, just like our Action Sports Jack, Stream 18, uh, was born uh, 10 years ago. And if we do well this year, and uh, with your help, hopefully we will, we'll go over the $100,000 raised mark um, on the Action Sports Jack, Stream 18. So pretty cool stuff. Hopefully you can be a part of it. Really fun day. Uh, Mark your calendars, Monday, September 16th, uh, at the golf club at Southampton. Hey Coos, you know one thing I wanted to ask you about and uh, or I at least just wanted to mention I did play golf with somebody today, basketball guy, and I thought he brought up a good point about the draft. And he said John B who's now the Cavs coach, uh, he he drafted guys like he recruited players at Michigan. And they were his guys, highly skilled guys. Uh, so looking at the draft, at least this person uh, that I think knows a pretty good amount about basketball, I won't drop his name because I'm not sure he wants me to, uh, but he, uh, he thought Beeline did a really good job. And there are some eyes, of course, on the Cavs trying to rebuild that thing with John Beeline, with the addition of a woman's coach. Uh, and John Beeline certainly going to try to do it his way. What were you hearing about Beeline and the Cavs, about how they did uh, last night, Coos?
4: To be honest, I heard that there were some question marks with the players that they got because they kind of contradicted uh, what what they already had with uh, Sexton at point guard. Um, but that's really all yeah. I've heard about it. So I always thought there was a negative tone to it. So I'm kind of interested to to hear that from you. I'm, I'm I've only at least and you know how social media is because it's usually mostly negative regardless of yeah. what it is. So. Maybe maybe I have to dig through the Cavs takes a little bit more to start seeing some of that, uh, that side of it as well.
3: Well, Kuz, I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I don't think you're wrong from the negative takes from the outside world. I think this person's point was he's doing it his way. He's going to mm-hmm. go find skilled players. He's not going to read Twitter, social media, mock draft boards and say just because the analytics say this, this guy says that. I mean, he took the kid out of Belmont, I think. In the first round, I think uh, it was like the 27th pick. This, he was talking about highly skilled players that will fit what he wants to do, and he can work with highly skilled players, you know? Uh, and you know what? If you look at some of the Michigan teams of the last couple of years, I don't I don't know this, uh, but I just don't think they jump off the screen as like, oh my gosh, that guy's going uh, number three in the draft. They've had some players that have certainly been top ten picks uh, over the last few years, but they have had a ton of success at Michigan, and... If he's going to bring that same formula, I don't know if it works to the NBA, mm-hmm. but it'll be interesting. i I'll add him to another team, though, that I'm intrigued by because I want to see if this beeline thing works. Jumping from Michigan to the NBA uh, and, and maybe now the way he's looking at players versus some of the rest of the league. You got to be careful you don't outsmart everybody else. You know, that's not a good way to do it. You don't outsmart everybody, but uh, you also have to be true to yourself. I thought it was an interesting take on the beeline front, and and I really don't, obviously we don't follow the Cleveland Cavs very much, so I wasn't really locked in on their draft last night, but uh, I thought it was an interesting take uh, about the draft. Any take about uh, Florida State and Mike Martin? Mike Martin named the next baseball coach at uh, Florida State University, following in his dad's footsteps, and this, in terms of reaction, now if you want to go to social media or just Florida State fans that I know, I think is lukewarm. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mike Martin is the next coach of, uh, Mike Martin Jr., is the next coach of of Florida State Baseball. I think it also, does it send the message, though, that, okay, we just want to kind of keep up and keep on with what we've been doing, or would it have been a message if they went outside to say, we think this guy can lead us to the mountaintop and we can be a top three program in the country and win it multiple times and and overtake florida as the team to beat in the state uh i don't know if it says that i think it says hey you know what this this family has done it the right way for four decades and we hope they do it for another couple of decades uh the right way mike martin jr the baseball coach at uh, florida state university takes over for his dad and i'm not saying it's the wrong thing uh you know we it's hard in baseball. Who knows what the, the right guy is? Uh, they vetted this thing out. They obviously have boosters and, and board members and everyone else that, um, that look deep into this, uh, from Jeff Johnson at Chipola to some former alums that are spread out over minor league baseball, uh, at professional baseball, and other college baseball. And they decided to stay in the family. Uh, if you will. And I think it's hard to get away from that, too. Uh, Don't sleep on that part of it. That's a hard thing to do as an administration, to say, wait a minute, this guy, look at the way Mike Martin just went out. Look how he was paraded out without winning a national championship. There is nothing wrong with having a man like that in charge of your program for four decades. I mean, this is... Student-athletes. It is big business, but it's also student-athletes. And the way he left that program, even without a national championship, is about as well-respected of a thing as we've seen in recent memory. So if they feel they can keep that integrity of the program, continue success, and maybe get there and, and win a national title with Mike Martin Jr., I don't think he uh, can necessarily argue it. I certainly think you can debate it and question it. It'll be uh, interesting to watch. And I say this in this instance because I say it a lot in sports. And hear me out on it. If you haven't heard me talk about it before, I think one of the most difficult things to do in sports is to follow a legend, follow a great player. How do you back it up? It is a very, very difficult thing to do. Now, Florida State has kind of done it before, right? Jimbo Fisher did a nice job after Bobby Bowden left. He won a national championship. Uh, Now, Bobby Bowden's last few years were not so great. Jimbo Fisher comes in, struggles a little, or at least by their standards, ends up winning a national title, all the quarterbacks, and makes the Final Four the next year, and and then leaves the program. I always equate it to Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew. I always admire Maurice Jones-Drew because he replaced the best running back in franchise history in Fred Taylor, and a guy that people beloved and was awesome on the field. And he did a fantastic job. And he was incredible. He had a great career. Uh, He belongs in the pride someday. So I always think it's the hardest thing to do is replace that and be the next guy to replace that. Well, what Florida State has added to that a little bit is this guy's the son of the guy that was the legend. How much more difficult is that? The expectation, the, the, the belief that, it's just always going to be the same, that you're always going to win 40 games. You're going to handle your business the same way your dad did. Uh, man, people are different, and uh, I think the expectations might be a little lofty uh, for Mike Martin Jr. just because of his dad, and that's just built in. Uh, his dad didn't do that. I don't think Mike Martin Jr. did that. I don't even know if Florida State can control that. But uh, it's certainly going to be evident for Mike Martin Jr. And, and we'll see if he can do it. But uh, I truly believe it is one of the hardest things to do in sports is uh, replace a legend. And uh, Florida State baseball is trying to do that. Uh, fortunately, we didn't have to do that here on Action Sports Jackson on ESPN 690. We just started the darn thing. So nobody was legendary. I mean, we just got to start from scratch. It was fantastic. Made it easy. It was all the way up, right from the get-go. Even if it's not good. Hopefully it's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for hanging with us. When we come back, I think John Phillips is going to join us. We're going to tackle the law a little bit. And a bit later on, fallen and fallen, and in the 5 o'clock hour, we will visit the Jags' 25th season celebration, and we'll do it with a guy who's been there since day one of the organization. He's seen it all. If the walls could talk, this guy would have a lot of stories to tell. They'll join us uh, coming up in a bit. I'll tell you who uh, later on. Plus some Guns N' Roses tickets on the way uh, this half hour. Uh, we will share another winner from our Roses are Red, Violets are Blue. Get your entries in as soon as you can. I can prime with that. My bad. Stay with us on the ESPN 6 night. Hey, welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau here, joined by John Phillips from the Law Offices of John Phillips, tackling the law. And, uh, well, there's not a lot of tackle football going on, but there's enough to tackle. Uh, First of all, though, I want an update on the Seadu, because the Seadu seems like a great place to be today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Uh, It's summertime. It's hot.
7: Is the Dew up and running? The Seadu is up and running, but for the last couple weeks, it's been a bit of a sea uh, just because I've, <laughs> I've been I've been a little busy on the weekends, but uh, this weekend it should be clear enough to try to you know get me and my lad out out for a spin.
3: Hey, what's what you know? You've been uh, super busy, and we've been going back and forth a little bit. And I know that, but what does that mean for you? Like, uh, just a, a ton of different cases, uh, a lot of things to research and vet, vet out. I mean, I'm I'm am feeling like a, a scene from *Few Good Men*. Uh, what's what's a busy time for uh, in, uh, a lawyer like right now? Yeah, like, what it, does that exactly. Just, mean.
7: It, there's different kinds of busy. There's there's you're in trial busy where you're you spend 40 hours a week or more in a courtroom. And so the office is backing up, but we haven't been in trial. We've just had the fortune of a bunch of people calling, which is, you know, typically their misfortune from, um, I think they're going to cover the story on, on your station tonight of a guy that, that was just on vacation and, and caught a, caught a hypodermic needle on the, to the, all the way into the toe at a, at a hotel under the bed. Crazy story. Um, to, you know, the plane crash, to to just, a, you know, a mess of unfortunate things happening to people that we try to help them get through and sort out in criminal family law and, and personal injury, which is kind of my back.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, uh, and, and you're kind of right in the middle of all of it. John Phillips with us. Uh, let's talk some sports things that are happening. I know you're not in the middle of it, but give us some of your expertise on it. Uh, bringing up two stories today. I want to talk sports gambling yeah. in a moment, but also Zion Williamson, the big story, number one pick last night. Uh, this is an interesting story on the back and forth and who gets the, the kind of who controls everything in sports these days. And I think it's a big topic. We've been spending a lot of time on it with the Jags, the, the branding and, and the power of players versus ownership and how that could right. change in the CBS. But Zion Williamson sued to get on, out of a relationship with a marketing agency back in April. Well, now the marketing agency comes back and sues him for $100 million of breach of contract. Uh, is is this just a kind of a back-and-forth litigation type of deal that, that won't really see the end of day? Or is, do you think these kind of things carry some weight?
7: It's somewhere in the middle. So generally, when you got two powerhouses negotiating, both are, are doing certain things to fulfill their end of the bargain. And then when one pulls out, the other one has damages. And so oftentimes there's there's insurance policies or funds set aside uh, to, to handle that sort of thing. But, of course, when you're talking about a professional athlete, oftentimes it's just the question of whether they're liquid at the time and you know how much how much blood you can get out of the turnips, so to speak. I mean we you know, you, you see that every once in a while when when a jaguar gets in trouble or, you know, it, it hasn't happened in years, but you know, punches somebody it you know happened a uh, gosh, decade or so ago. Um and then you you know you wonder how you can how you can squeeze them. Um and for the most part it, it, it's it's a matter of, and particularly including, you know, Zion's case. It's a matter of negotiation. Um, you know, there's some there's some bad feelings off of off of a backed out of deal, and and they just they're you know they lawyers who will bill them hourly and try to get something for it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I th- I feel like in a sense, and this is so, so far from the outside looking in that it's not even close. Um, but it's almost like you know when you hear the stories when people win the lottery. Everybody comes calling, right? Everybody right. wants a piece of their, their, their money, that piece of that pie. And and that's sometimes, by the way, why why a lot of people go broke after winning the lottery or end up in bankruptcy because every they just say, oh, okay, I'll give it to you and you and you, and or somebody screws them over. It kind of feels like that with a, a, an athlete. And they're almost being tested sometimes. Do they have good camp? Do they have a good team? Do they have good representation to protect themselves against having all this money and really not a ton of knowledge of what to do with it? Because, John, quite frankly, I don't know what the heck I was supposed to do with a hundred million dollars. I'd like to find out, but I'm not sure.
7: Right, and and you do you do see it, and and just this weekend we we were down with our the firm's kids having a the Jaguars had a little camp for our for our kids in in advance of some of the camps they're throwing. And I had that same conversation with Marcus Pollard because he's got rookies running around mm-hmm. who who've never had money necessarily. They've never had fame. They've never had success. And now every time they walk into a restaurant, they're not, they're not their name anymore. They're Jaguars player or they're, you know, they're a dollar sign. And so it does take, you know, guys like Marcus who have been through it to kind of educate people. And you got to have a good team, whether it's, whether it's, you know, like Miles Jack's mom is, is a, is a stalwart representative, representative for him. And then other guys have, you know, marketing agents and everybody else, but it's, it's a, it's a crazy business. And I mean, you know, the statistics, most players are, are headed towards bankruptcy or some sort of collapse three and a half years out of the league. Um, and that's just, that's just tragically, tragically unfortunate.
3: Yeah, absolutely tackling the law with john phillips from the law offices of john phillips been a busy busy man we appreciate him taking a couple of minutes a uh, happy belated father's day uh by the way uh listen gambling is is everywhere uh in sports it's not stopping it's only going to get bigger there's a report even that wrigley field may try to put gambling booths inside wrigley to bet on the games um my question john is how close are we to seeing it in Florida because I feel like when I talked about this with someone uh, maybe a, a year or two ago it didn't feel as close as it should
7: right you know the first the first question I would have related to your question is when are we going to let Pete Rose back in the Hall of Fame if, if you can are <laughs> into the Hall of Fame if you can bet on games at the games you know can we can we just let Pete in but um, yeah well PC, we should anyway Pete Rose, but <laughs> Pete Rose aside. It's so we've we've cleared some federal hurdles, but it's still state by state, and as you well know, a lot of that is controlled by the lobbying. And so we've seen, I think, starting next year, you're going to have dogs taken off of tracks officially. There's going to be no more dogs, and they've 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 gone to poker rooms. And one of the biggest biggest lobbyists and and you know power players in town are the are the people that. fund and support these poker rooms and and they they have an interest not necessarily to see anybody else get into the game gaming biz and you just you're going to have a lot of legislators debating how to handle it and you kind of need to watch where you know where donations go Um, but but i i think in the in the you know, this, in the next few years, we're going to see more and more teams with alcohol in the stadium and, and, and you know, on the college level. And, and you're going to see more and more pro teams with the ability to gamble. Yeah, I,
3: I, th- I agree with you. I, I don't. I think we're trending that way. I just wonder how far Florida is going to be behind in this thing, uh, because I think you said the key word is lobbyists on both sides of the spectrum. Everybody's dug in pretty deep. Uh, but we're going to see an NFL team in Vegas. I mean, we know the popularity of gambling and what that's done to the NFL. We are seeing the the uh, restrictions loosen up in college sports in terms of what they can bet on and can't bet on in Vegas. We see the, uh, the fan duels of the world, uh, draft kings cool. of the world. I mean, fantasy football is such a thing it's like yeah it just feels like I know there are pitfalls to it I get it but at the same time it almost feels like a way of life right now and sooner or later um, everybody is going to be doing it and doing it legally I mean the draft
7: Kings and fantasy you know fan duel type fantasy football things are, are are was was almost a pivotal step because you yeah. know up until up until last year we you know even the Jaguars bought in and we're promoting fan duel um and you're going to see more and more that although as i say that just scrolling facebook this week i saw you know have you lost money playing one of these one of these sites and apparently there's there's lawyers who have looked at it and said that you know there might have been some some misdoings and you know want to file a class action we're not you know we're not there we're not doing that but uh but i it's there's wherever on all of the issues we've discussed today, there's gonna to be a lot of lawyers involved um, to make sure it's 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 done as fairly as possible. And then there's gonna be people trying to trying to cheat the system. I mean, you know, dating back dating back to the you know, to the original the original mafia, um, there was you know, there was a lot of, of gambling and, and booze running and those those are kind of the issues in college sports right now. You know, in, in, in pro sports, you know, how far do we allow alcohol and how far do we allow gaming? Um, and it's it's I, I think we're just kind of, you know, we're way more of an accepting culture in a lot of ways, uh, a little bit more libertarian in a lot of ways that that it seems like more and more opportunities are going to open up.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Phillips with us, uh, from the law offices of John Phillips tackling the law. Hey, uh, John, I'll give you my recommendation. I said this a few weeks ago on the show, but you just mentioned the mafia and, and the gambling, all that kind of stuff. If you get some time, if you're, if you're, if you're by the pool or if you just need to, to take a break from your busy, uh, uh, lawyer life, Crime Town podcast, pretty good. Okay. I mean, I know you got the okay. Action Sports Jackson on ESPN six ninety podcast, but you got to check out Crime Town. It's pretty good if you're looking for something to do, and and I think you'll get hooked on it. It's a really good one.
7: Good. That's a. It's it's you know it's one of those things that I I, I need to find something to do while on a treadmill because I get bored, and and that sounds like one of those one of those great <laughs> great things to pass time. Absolutely.
3: Step one, you're on the treadmill. That's a good news. That's a good thing.
5: No. I just <laughs> got like do more it. than one step. Um, hey, well, we're, uh...
3: <laughs> Thanks, man. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And we're also on the horizon. We're, we're looking forward to the Rolling Stones uh, day, hopefully at the Duval House. Maybe we come out and do the show live from there. We got to do it. We got to do it. Absolutely. Uh, John Phillips, thanks, man. All right, that's John Phillips tackling the law. Law offices of John Phillips. Uh, always good to have John on talking to, about some of the hot button issues in sports. I think gambling is really right up there. Uh, when will we see it uh, in in Florida? Um, we will see. Uh, we will certainly see that. Coos, you want to take a break or you want to just hang and do a little balling and falling? What you got?
4: We could take a break and then come back and do a quick balling and falling, but it's up to you.
3: All right, let's take a break. Take a quick time out. When we come back, ballin' and fallin', uh, we'll get to that. And uh, 5 o'clock hour coming up, we've got some Guns N' Roses tickets to give away, Happy Hour Horn, and 25th season celebration for the Jacksonville Jaguars. All on the way, Action Sports jacks on ESPN six ninety. Kuz just gave me like four more fallins and fallins that we couldn't get to. We still have to get to our fallen, uh here in the, in the program on a Friday, but... This is a Friday that is the first day of summer. Kuz, mm-hmm. cool. is there a more anticlimactic day than the first day of summer in the state of Florida?
4: I was going to say, you got to end it with the state of Florida, because everywhere else, or at least growing up when I was in Pennsylvania, this was actually a thing. You're like, oh, it's finally going to be warm out, or it's going to get really nice. It's a long day. We're good to go. But in Florida, it's like it's just it's just another Friday. Just another
3: Friday. I mean, really, if you could redo the calendar, where would the first day of summer be? in the state of Florida. Like, where would it fall?
4: It's got to be at, like, the end of April almost.
3: I would think, yeah. I was thinking somewhere maybe early May. Yeah. I'm not even like, I mean, I guess you could hang out till Memorial Day if you really wanted to. Like, if you wanted to kind of meet in the middle, you could say Memorial Day would be the start of summer because it kind of feels like it. Even up north, Memorial Day feels like that's when the pools open up north for the most part. Uh, But school doesn't get out up north until, like, the middle or third week of June. So summer now makes sense. And they won't go back to school until, like, Labor Day, uh, at least up in the New England area, where I'm from. But down here, it's like, really? Like, isn't summer almost over? (laughs) We've got football in, like, four weeks. Uh, So it feels so different uh, uh, down here. The other one you said, it's National Selfie. You know how I love the National Days.
4: I know you do. And
3: it's it's National Selfie Day.
4: Yeah, National Selfie Day, it's the third ter- uh, trending thing on Twitter right now with uh, 45.8, it just went up, 45.8k tweets in the last hour. So that's
3: just like 45,000 tweets of people taking selfies.
4: And then using the hashtag National Selfie Day, yes.
3: That is amazing that the, that many people are doing that. Uh, they love the days, I guess that's why everybody has them. Uh, all right, now it is time for a little Fallen. coos. Uh, Kuz- Now, you go first, Coos. What you got
7: for Fallen?
4: Okay, so my Fallen is actually posted by uh, Bleacher Report, and I just retweeted it on the ESPN uh, Twitter page, so if you want to go watch this video, this kid who is playing T-ball, I mean, I'm telling you can't be more than six years old Hits the ball off the tee and does a bat flip. So I figured that would play right in for you, Brent.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I see. Now, we saw the double bird kid the other day, yeah. right? I mean, that was part of the fall-in, I think, for Austin. Now, that I, didn't, I don't know where people get. The young kids doing bat flips, that's going to become a thing. I mean, yeah. because that's what so many do. So that's not surprising to me. Um, well, they, you know, we're, I, I've said this. We're going to see bat flips for pop-ups to the shortstop. Uh, in in little kids baseball, that's essentially what this stuff. was. But we will see it. That's essentially what this was. I bet. Uh, that's kind of funny, though. I guess when you're a little little kid, uh, the double birds not so funny. Well, it was kind of funny, but I'm glad it's not my kid. Uh, that would not be very funny. Uh, all right, uh, my fallen is. I- I'm gonna. It was fun. I was talking about this today, and someone gave me another side of it. And I was like, okay, I can understand it. So I'll give you that side of it in a moment. But I still think uh, this is a little bit of balling from Jake Mangum, the Mississippi State player. When he was leaving the podium, he's, he's really a great player in college baseball for Mississippi State. And before he left the podium, when they were all done, he asked for another minute. And he went on a, a little bit of a, a soapbox rant about getting a third paid assistant in college baseball. And he was really passionate about it, adamant about it. And he's a big name in college baseball, if you follow the the college baseball circles and go to Omaha a couple times in his career, I think the kid plays the game the right way. And I thought it was a neat moment that he took his time to that platform to uh, at least spread a feeling that he and so many in the sport of college baseball have. Take a listen to it.
6: College baseball is evolving. It is. And um, for four years, I I just want to let everyone know it's time for a third paid assistant head coach. Uh, assistant coach in college baseball there's a million people averaging watching this game 30,000 people in that stadium this is my second time to Omaha like it, it it's it's time like this game's evolving it's growing every year it keeps getting bigger and in and, and this dugout and these uh, on that field there was uh there was 27 players on each team you start off with 35 you come with 27 of those 35 there's 11.7 on each team on scholarship I'm like man like this game game's getting way too big for that. These are the best four years of my life, and it's it's time it's time to adapt with that. Every year we've had assistant coaches that have not been paid, who spend hours on hours on hours doing all they can for our program, sleeping in the offices, scouting reports, dealing with camps. Come on, man, go out there and watch that game. 30,000 people in that stadium A million people Watching it Come on It's, it's, time, it's time to change It really is uh, That
3: was Jake Mangum last night After uh, Mississippi State lost uh, Can't ring the bell today I'm on the road But uh, ring the bell for Jake Mangum A uh, fantastic career And I, and I like the use of the platform You know It wasn't ridiculous It wasn't uh, grandstanding It wasn't anything like that It was uh, passioned, uh, and And I think so many people In college baseball believe it And You know, my initial reaction when a third paid assistant, first of all, it's hard to believe that there isn't, right? It feels like there's so much money. You think Omaha, you think Louisville's coach and uh, O'Sullivan at Florida, and some of these coaches getting paid a million dollars to coach college baseball. And so the gap between not being able to have a third paid assistant and that guy making a million dollars seems so much. But it was put to me today a little bit differently, and and to understand it, I guess...
4: Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, Brent, sorry. Looks like you're uh, breaking up a little bit on us there. Uh, you still hear me? Nope. It looks like he may. Lost you a little bit? Oh, there you go. You're back. Yeah, it, we're, we lost you for a second. Oh, we may have, we may have lost you a little bit more. May, we might need to retry uh, connections there for us. So um, we're going to do a quick happy hour horn and see if we can get uh, Brent back. I should say it for Austin, grab a drink. Uh, What is it? Grab a drink, grab a shot, tip your store tender. It's ESPN 690. We are going to try to get Brent back, still having a little bit of connections issues. So when we uh, get back from this commercial break, we will have Brent. It's ESPN 690. Thanks for hanging with us. Yes, it is. Brent Mortono
3: uh, from Action Sports X on ESPN 6 and 90 here from uh, WW Ranch Motocross Park, and uh, it's going to be a fun time uh, tomorrow here for the U.S. Assure Florida National. It's a one-day event. Practice and qualifying, 8 o'clock in the morning, 12.30 opening ceremonies, 1 o'clock. The uh, motos for 450 class and 250 class. Tickets, 50 bucks for adults, $20 for kids. Come on out. we spent some time with some of the riders today already. Uh, learn a little bit more about this sport, and I know there's so many of you that probably do know a lot about it, uh, but I'll be honest, I'm more novice than expert when it comes to this. But uh, great background here, pretty cool. Uh, WW Ranch Motocross Park on the west side of Jacksonville try- off uh, Otis, uh, trying to make it uh, one of the best tracks in the Southeast. And with that comes, um, well, absolutely zero cell phone service <laughs> and some connectivity issues at times. So thanks for hanging with us. But, uh, it was bound to happen, uh, sooner or later and, uh, lost you for a couple of minutes. So thanks to, to Kuz for, for picking that up. And thanks for hanging with us on Action Sports Jackson, on ESPN 690. Brian Sexton's going to join us in just a couple minutes. Uh, talk 25th season of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, He is a guy that's been around the Jags uh, as much as anybody else. Uh, All 25 years of the organization, uh, 25 seasons of the organization. And he's one of, I think, I have to ask him, I think it's eight people uh, who have been around since day one when they had the old trailer waiting for the stadium to be built and the start of the organization. He was around during that time. So uh, we'll relive some of it with uh, Brian coming up in just a few minutes. There is some uh, breaking news out of Georgia, according to uh, 24-7 Sports, Jeremiah Holloman. Uh, is off the Georgia Bulldogs team after an incident in 2018. Uh, This reveals, according to the Covington News, Holloman is off the team due to an incident the morning after the G-Day spring scrimmage. Holloman accused of aggravated assault and battery. No charges have been filed. Uh, And uh, head coach Kirby Smart confirmed Holloman's departure according to the Covington News. So... uh, there's a Georgia Bulldog gone at the wide receiver position uh, for Jake Fromm. And, and the dog's coming back in the uh, fall of this year, uh, a loss at the wide receiver spot. So that just happened in a, a short time ago. Uh, news on the Georgia Bulldog front. And usually if you're getting news this time of year in college football, really in any football, it's usually not good foot uh, news, and that's the case uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs with Jeremiah Holloman off the Georgia Bulldogs football team. Uh, real quick, before uh, we, we get Brian Sexton in, in just a few minutes, it, as, uh, as we lost a little connection there, here from the west side of Jacksonville, uh, live on the road once again on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690, uh, I was talking baseball, and my fallen was really the idea the third assistant, the paid assistant in baseball not happening. Uh, Part of my balling, really, was Jake Mangum taking the platform uh, last night for Mississippi State and sharing his thoughts. It was an impassioned uh, 90 seconds or so uh, about it, and he wasn't asked about it. He actually asked for the platform to say something, his final words on the podium, final words in a Mississippi State uniform. And I thought that part was pretty cool, but as for the third assistant, you know you get the million dollar uh, coaches, and you can 't even get an assistant making thirty five thousand dollars or something or thirty thousand uh, dollars as a paid assistant you 've got one you got two of them, but you can 't get a third one and it just seems a little odd because it, the way we see college sports, you see all these college basketball coaches on the bench, a bunch of assistants. you see a ton of college football coaches and their assistants uh, out on the sideline, and obviously there 's more players in college football. I get it uh, but I was reminded today you also have to look at it from not just the big perspective, right? Not just the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, not just the Power 5 schools, not just Omaha, not Louisville and Mississippi State and Florida and Florida State. You have to look at it from the other side, the smaller schools, or really not even small schools, but just schools in general that maybe don't are, are not kings of the sport um, in baseball and, and in other sports, softball and, and so many others. So I think if you do look at it from that end, My guess is baseball in most programs, in most collegiate programs, really doesn't make a lot of money. Uh, There's a a real chance it loses money. So I can see why across the board over 300 schools doing this and adding, even if it's $30,000 let's say, $30,000 to that payroll to that budget of that sport that isn't making any money can be frowned upon. Uh, it's a top-heavy thing. We see Omaha. We see 30,000 people in the stands. We see the million-dollar coach at Louisville and at the University of Florida. But you don't really—you kind of forget about the other 250, 280, 290 programs across the country that this could be pretty taxing on them. And the sport already could be pretty taxing with facility upkeep. Uh, and everything else, it does feel like, I'm a baseball guy, it does feel like if you look at the numbers of people playing college baseball, if you really look at the number of kids playing baseball out there, and to see only, what is it, like 11.8 scholarships that are available, and now not even a position as a third paid assistant, where that guy could grow into the coaching ranks and coaching role, and move their way up, uh, it does sound at least from a um, logic standpoint, and on the surface standpoint, kind of asinine Uh, it's like they need to do more for college baseball it feels like but keep in mind college baseball was also um one of the sports now wrestling was this uh, for a long time that took a little bit of a hit because of title nine and that's not title nine's problem but it did it just evened out the numbers i remember working providence college baseball camps as a kid well a couple years after working them providence college lost their baseball program it was a victim of title nine on the men's side Of college athletics. Uh, It it just was. And why? Because it wasn't a revenue sport. So, you know, you've got to be able to make money, as it was told to me today, and I thought it was put in pretty good uh, terms. If you take away football and you take away basketball, what other sports on campus are making money? And if you're not making money, uh, then it's hard to kind of fight to pay more money out and to add to the budget. Uh, I I like to fight, though, <laughs> and I still think uh, in baseball uh, they should – A lot of programs should get more than they get in terms of scholarships and also paid coaches. So we'll see what happens down the road. Of course, it was recent news because NCAA voted against it uh, just a couple of months ago. We'll see if it gets back on the table anytime soon and gets passed uh, uh, down the road. But like so many of our sports in college athletics, very top-heavy in college baseball, keep in mind, there are a lot of football programs across the country that lose money by having a football program. There are a lot of them. It's not just like five of them. There are a lot of them. But we think about the Alabamas, the Florida's, the Clemson's, all these Power Five schools, and there's so much money being made. There's a big gap between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to the checkbook uh, in college athletics. Uh, When it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, this guy's a have. And he's been there for all the haves and have-nots moments. (laughs) <laughs> with the franchise. Uh, we're going to have Brian Sexton on the show, uh, former voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, been around the organization since day number one. He jumps in on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 as we celebrate the 25th season of the Jags. And we're doing it live from the west side here at WW Ranch Motocross Park. Big event coming out tonight, uh, tomorrow. Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship Series continues with the Florida National right here on the west side of Jacksonville. Come on out. Check it out tomorrow. Well, for the entire month of June, we've been celebrating 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's been a really a lot of fun to catch up with some former Jags players every day here on ESPN 690. Joel Schmange yesterday, uh, that was a lot of fun. as uh, We did the old chant, the old fan chant, and uh, he was uh, fantastic. But going all the way back to when June started, Jimmy Smith and Keita McCardell and Maurice Jones-Drew, and uh, we've had so many players, uh, not necessarily the top 25 players in franchise history, but some of the great characters and some of the memorable uh, people of the Jaguars organization. When you when you say that, some of the memorable folks in, in Jaguars organization, you think of uh, at one time the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but a guy that's been around every single day of the existence of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Think about that for a second. I mean, every single day, now 25 seasons old, started in a trailer, and now it's in what feels like a luxurious suite at the headquarters of Jaguars.com. We welcome in Brian Sexton. Take some time out for us on a Friday in the summer. We probably could have done a whole show on
0: this. How you doing, man? I'm good. Yeah, talking uh, talking's not my problem, especially not when it comes to this. <laughs> so, yeah, as much as you want, I got.
3: Hey, yeah, well, take us all the way. For, for folks that, you know, there's so many Jags fans that are new in town, right? Uh, it's a transient place. Uh, and, and I think some probably forget how it all started. I think there are eight of you, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that have been there every single day of the organization. But it started out in a trailer, man. Uh, what was that like at the beginning? Well,
0: when I first arrived in the summer of 1994, so I haven't been there since November 30th, 93. so not quite every day. You know, there, the upper deck on the west side was standing, and, and and that was it. And there were trailers and, you know, mud pits uh, from all the summer rains. And you saw the logo on the trailers, which was really a hodgepodge. I mean, every time they needed more space, they just drop one down. And I, it's like dominoes or Jenga, you know, all the time it's just doing your way around. It was, um, it was an exhilarating experience. As I look back, you know, and I've seen every game they've ever played now, 495 those couple of months that the year build-up to the start of the first season was as memorable, as valuable uh, as I can imagine. To see a franchise grow from, you know, the very first steps, from hiring the people that worked in the office and did the salary cap and coaches players, and players, you know, to the, the stadium being built. And this won't surprise you, this being a college outfit. You know, we're trying to teach people the difference between the NFL and college football, and, you know. When does recruiting start? Yeah, there were just a lot of people that didn't get the terminology. They didn't know why, how college and the pro game differed. And, you know, you're from you know the New England area. You know. Uh, I'm from St. Louis and Kansas City. I knew. Uh, but longtime college football fans didn't necessarily know all the differences. So it was a uh, hit-the-ground running, you know, not a lot of sleep, no vacations, um, and we really didn't get done from the time we started in the summer of '94 until New Year's of '96. Uh, but it was it's some of the best days of my life, and I'm grateful for all of
3: them. Yeah, and uh, you know, you were a young, younger guy back then. Not that you don't have plenty of energy and look great now, but I mean, you could you can handle all well, those that. long days. And Tom Coughlin, Tom Coughlin wasn't going to let you take a day off anyway,
0: was he? No, and, you know, he really. He, he's funny because people ask today, you know, what does Tom do? And I think he sets the pace. You know, when he walks through the offices, you know, all those kids in what we call the cry room, the ticketing area with the windows, and they all set up straighter. That was the same thing. I mean, Tom was grinding away, getting work done. Uh, but he set the tempo for the organization, which was good. Because if we had used, if, if every interior wall, all of those trailers was a whiteboard, friend, there would have been so many things on that to-do list. It would have filled every interior wall and then some. And the only way we got it done was by having a pace setter. I, I, I sat with Tom a couple of weeks ago to work on the podcast with him, and I called him a pioneer. You know, he was the guy out in front. He was the guy crossing the prairie trying to get us to, you know, where we needed to be at that time. And, you know, he took all the arrows. But he was a guy who understood what had to be done. Uh, the workload, it was epic. And if you if you stop, it's kind of like, You've had small children, and anybody who's listening has more than one small child. Uh, You know, and and, and any manner of sports and activities. And people say, How do you get it done? Well, if you stop to think about how you get it done, you don't get it done. You just literally grind (laughs) it away. I can remember my parents calling and saying, Are you coming home to Kansas City for Christmas? And I said, When's that? I was so lost in in the fall of 94. Um, Again, the memories of it, the experience of it, the the ability to, to be one of just a handful of people who are still around, who have experienced every minute of it, um, uh, it, it I'm grateful for that.
3: Yeah, Brian Sexton uh, with us here, uh, of course, uh, for so many years, uh, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, now still uh, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, jaguars.com, doing some great stuff. In fact, has a podcast out, reliving so many of the games and the memories with so many of the fantastic people. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, man. How much fun are you having doing that, reliving? You, you know, the thing about Brian, and I'm not sure how many people know this or not, the guy has a fantastic memory. Uh, very, very bright guy, but fantastic memory. And so I can only imagine uh, the thoughts uh, that kind of run through your mind as you're doing some of these podcasts uh, and, you're, and you're looking back on yesteryear. Well, we've got ten of them done,
0: and I think we're going to unveil them the week of the first preseason game. And the hope is to have between 16 and 20 with you know with key people who were there. The interesting part is that you realize, and, and not everybody sees one another on a daily basis, but the relationships that took root back in the early days have led to really interesting conversations because these men, trust me, uh, You know, they know that I saw it firsthand. And they understand my connection to the franchise and know that what I'm trying to do is tell a story and not offer an opinion. So we're kind of doing it in the Oprah Winfrey Masterclass style. If anybody's listened to that, and it's, it's a fantastic style, it's basically a first-person narrative. So I sat with Tom Coughlin. I sat with former Mayor John Delaney. And I would throw a topic at it. And then let them run with it and tell it first person. Um, I, Mark Brunel said to me, I wasn't a great quarterback, but I had great moments. I mean, just I mean, the, the news instinct in you just dung. I, I know it. I could hear the bell. Uh, it did for me that moment too. We built the whole podcast around that. Uh, Tom Coughlin talked about, you know, when he got fired. He was a man who had never been fired at anything. He'd never been anything but a tremendous success. And he talked about that day in the ensuing weeks. Um, we have gotten some immense some incredible stuff. Tony Passelli talked about sitting on his front porch with Tom Coughlin, learning about being exposed to the Houston Texans in two thousand and two in the expansion draft and, and what that meant and the plans that he had for his career, how they took a right turn sharp and he didn't you know he wasn't in control anymore uh, we've got ten done, and uh, we'll have ten more easily. I think as more and more players hear this and hear these they'll want, oh, I got a story to tell too. Um so it's been fabulous to, to sit and do it and I'm running them through, Brent, some of the people that were there, some of the people that know these men, and they're telling me I learned something that I didn't know when when you do these podcasts. So as a journalist and you know this, when you can tell a story to people that think they know the story but they find out they don't, now you've told a story. Um, and I'm 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 having a ball. I really am. I'm I tell people that Jacksonville is a shining city on a hill for me and my family. To get this opportunity at age 25 and to still be here and to still be engaged in it at age 50 is a blessing that I never would have even thought. And, um, and telling these stories is, well, it's, it's, it's taking me back. It's taking people to a point that maybe they didn't know. And the, the men who have sat with me are enjoying it immensely, too. It's fun to tell stories.
3: Yeah, it's really fun to hear the stories too, and uh, I'm looking forward to that coming out right around the uh, first preseason game, as as you mentioned. But also Jaguars.com doing a lot of content uh, with 25th season celebration as well. So make sure you always check out uh, Jaguars.com. Considering I think I've worked with half the people in that office um, in TV land <laughs> on CBS 47 and Fox 30, but uh, you guys yeah, all you do know. a fantastic job, and and always look forward to the uh, to the content. You know, you brought something up, Tom Coughlin getting fired, and that leads me to a man that's. To this day, I think, um, at times, uh, a forgotten piece of the puzzle, although should never be. And that is uh, Mr. Wayne Weaver, the original owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, a man that helped bring the the pro football to Jacksonville. And I I never lose sight of this, even though I wasn't here, Brian, uh, the fact that he has two uh, legacies, in my opinion. One, helping bring the Jaguars uh, to Jacksonville, but also finding the next ownership group, that was going to keep them here and thrive here in Jacksonville. That, of course, is Shad Khan. Wayne Weaver has been very quiet since he sold the team years ago to Shad Khan. I think he remains quiet. I think we've discussed this. It's it's not easy to track him down, uh, but he is an instrumental part of, and and really Dolores as well. I mean, the entire family, the yeah. Weaver family, what they've done philanthropically as well. Um, it's just, it's, it's a story, you don't tell the story of Jacksonville, and you don't tell the story of the Jaguars without Wayne Weaver.
0: Well, and and I am trying to get Wayne to come and sit and do the podcast. He has, he, he told me no, and I told him the concept, and he said, let me think about it. And he said, I, I just don't, he has stepped into the background, Brent, out of respect for Mr. Khan. And doesn't want to, he, he just doesn't want to limelight. I'm still working on him. You're talking about two people that I love dearly, uh, not just because they gave me an opportunity at age 25, but because of who they are. And and you know the funny thing is, and I agree with you. I tell people all the time. He did two amazing things: got the franchise and then ensured that it would stay. But beyond that, you know, I think they walked away. This is a rough number that you know someone close to them shared with me. They walked away with about 300 million in proceeds after the sale of the franchise, and you know that. Almost 100 million of that has either been given away or is earmarked to be given away. Talk about legacy. The legacy of a football team is one thing, but the legacy of the Clara White Mission, of of the Children's Hospital that now bears their name, of so many places where Wayne and Dolores put their time and put their treasure. Uh, I can't think of two people, and I've only lived here 25 years. There are probably people that... Are screening names, I can't think of two more impactful people in Jacksonville history. Um, I just, I, I I'm, I'm really, I'm not going to quit trying to get Wayne and Dolores to come sit for the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I said to Mark Lamping last week, they did an anniversary for those of us who were celebrating 25 years, and he was asking me, you know, how do we get the Weavers out? How do we get them engaged in the anniversary year? And I said, I'm just not sure you're going to. I think they're happy. They're comfortable with their legacy. They don't need to be in the spotlight. Uh, they're grateful that uh, that Mr. Khan has fulfilled his promise and done more with the Jaguars. Uh, but getting them out of their comfort zone and into the limelight again—that's a big ask. But I'm telling you, they are two people who mean so much to individuals, but to a community, they have lived a good life. They have done well.
3: Yeah, I wish uh, Brian they would. They would come out and be a part of it for us, selfishly. Uh, Even if they don't Mm -hmm. need to, I wish they would for us and the fans and everyone else and be celebrated because, rightfully so, they should be. And as long as we remember uh, what they've done, uh, and I think that's probably okay for them, uh, but hopefully we'll hear from them uh, sometime in the 25th season celebration. All right, man, I I did say this to you. I I said we could go all over the map. Um, I'm sure you have some favorite players. You have favorite memories and favorite games and... and, uh, but is there an underrated so have to have player it on again. to you? you have to have it on again. Yeah, I know. Hey, we can do it. I mean, we got all summer. But is there an is there an underrated player to you in Jacksonville Jaguars history that we lose sight of, just how impactful yep. that that player was?
0: I'm I'm going to give you two. As part of a of a research project, I went through every play, and you you know, and people who listen may not know this, but there's a play-by-play that's generated from every game, mm. a written play-by-play of what happened. I went through every game, 495 in Jaguars history, in January and February. And I was looking for plays from specific players, the All-25. We were trying to get video compiled so that when we started building these, which come out next week, and by the way, they're fantastic, um, we'd have video from NFL Films. And there were two guys who, they're excellent players, and people are going to go, they're not underrated. But when I give you their names... Marcus Stroud and Mike Peterson, you'll say, well, you know, Stroud was a three-time Pro Bowler. Mike Pete, everyone loved him. But in terms of plays, I mean, we all know about sacks and interceptions and, and touchdowns. But tackles on third down for losses, you know, third and two, and Mike Pete's in the backfield making a tackle to prevent a big first down in the fourth quarter of the game in Pittsburgh. Or Marcus Stroud tipping a pass. That, that, that doesn't come to people's mind in Indianapolis. That helped set up Josh Goby's game-winning field goal in 2005. When I put together plays, Marcus Stroud and Mike Peterson had as many or more plays, impactful plays, than a Jimmy Smith or a Fred Taylor. I mean, they they were right there. There were just so many of them. And I thought, my God, people have forgotten all of these plays because yes, a sack in a playoff game or an interception for a touchdown in a big game at home. People remember those, but they don't remember the tackle on third and two at the line of scrimmage that helps give the ball back in the fourth quarter. Those things just, they escape our memory over time. So I would say Stroud and Peterson are two players who deserve to have the clang of cymbals, right, and the explosion of fireworks as we go through this 25th season, remembering just what terrific players they were.
3: That's great. I'm glad you brought those guys up, and they really were fantastic guys too, and fun guys still to talk to about Jaguars football to this day. Uh, you know, but Mike Peter, we have short memories. You know, followed by Mike Peterson was a guy named Daryl Smith, who people really adored, and of course Paul Puzlesny, and now Miles Jack and Telvin Smith made a Pro Bowl. So I guess you you can get lost pretty quickly uh, in the linebacker room in Jacksonville history. And even yep. for Stroud, it wasn't Stroud, right? It was Stroud and Henderson, and Henderson the yep. big personality, and Stroud kind of that just getting it done. So you can kind of tell how easy it is for them to get lost, even though I think you brought well, up
0: uh, rightful points. And just, you know, just one more thing on those. Neither one of them played in the final stretch of 07. As the Tegworth beat the Steelers twice in Pittsburgh and went up to New England and, and gave that undefeated Patriots team a real run for their money. Marcus Stroud had been suspended and Mike Peterson was injured. Neither one of those key players played for that defense that day. Imagine how much more of an opportunity the Jaguars might have had to upset that team if they had played.
3: I kind of feel like you just told the rest of the story a little bit from that game in uh, yeah. 07. Okay, hey, I, again, we could hang all day. I know it's a Friday night. You've got family to uh, tend to and everything. But if I – I don't you know. Maybe you're like in the middle of a grocery store, and I really think it would be awesome if you were right now. But if I asked you <laughs> to give me the call. Right now of like of your call from ninety six and, and I don't have it with me. I, I really should have thought of this before, but during the interview I started to think about it. Could you Which like play? verbatim the call, the play that to to beat the Broncos uh, in, in what most people consider the biggest win in franchise history uh, back in, in the ninety six season? Uh, do you remember how you called it? Can you give it to us? Oh do I remember that Mark's run or Jimmy's touchdown? Uh, Jimmy's touchdown, I'm thinking. Whatever play you want
0: to do. Do you remember either call? Well, it's your third down seven. Jaguars trying to make something happen here. Mile High Stadium on its feet. The playoffs coming to a crescendo. What do the Jaguars have left? Here's Brunel now third down. Takes the snap. Rolls out to his right. Romanowski's giving chase. There's no one to throw downfield, and Mark takes off across the 45 and the 50, racing back across the field, cutting all the way back down to the 45 and the 40, down to the 35 and the 30, inside the 30, a masterful run by Mark Parnell Yeah, I remember uh, I guess
3: you do remember. You don't lose those memories, man. And thousands and thousands of Jags fans remember it probably just as well. That's uh, that's really cool stuff. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks for taking some time. And uh, if you want, we'll be glad to do it again before we uh, kick it off in training camp in late July.
0: You know where to find me, Brent. You know find
3: me, Brent. Absolutely. Have a great weekend, man. You got it. Alright, Brian Sexton, uh, with Jaguars.com now, pretty cool. <laughs> he, he he has an incredible memory. I've worked with Brian, well I've worked with Brian now a lot, uh, and he'll call the preseason games on, uh, CBS 47, Fox 30 once again, uh, this year. But uh, I worked uh, for about a year in TV. When I first got here, Brian was named the sports director a couple months later. And so we worked together. And quite frankly, I'm not sure he really liked me much that year. Uh, and I don't blame him. I was just a, a young, probably immature, uh, uh, bad employee. But at the same time, uh, you, you know, you can, he's a really smart guy. And the. Uh, the memory that he had was like, wow, you remember all those plays. (laughs) It's pretty pretty, uh, fantastic. So for him to call on that play, and and I kind of figure if you have an epic call, uh, an epic play, a big moment in franchise history, heck, we as fans sometimes remember what the announcer said. But uh, pretty cool that uh, Brian Sexton brought that back up. And so many more memories. Check out the podcast. Check out all the coverage on jaguars.com and of course we're doing a lot too uh, here on ESPN 690 every day in June but also uh, most weekends and most days on Action Sports Jacks on the TV side on CBS 47 and Fox 30 your official Jaguar stations on the TV side and we will uh, have a ton of Jags coverage coming up all fall long and I think uh, maybe some exciting news in uh, the next few days, few weeks uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. All right, Kuz, we're going to take a quick time out. Thanks to Brian Sexton for joining us uh, here once again from the West Side. We'll put a bow on it. On Action Sports Shack on ESPN 69.